This is Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. Cross Hope is broadcast daily and shares five minutes of hope and encouragement from the Word of God. Our companion website is www.crosshope.org. Now with today's uplifting message, here's Randy. Some of you have heard or read material by a minister by the name of Ray Stedman, godly man who wrote for years. He was shipped from San Francisco on a ship, a troop ship, to Hawaii for their first stop during the World War II. He said there were 2,000 soldiers on this ship. And they had two destroyers, Navy destroyers, as escort vehicles to protect them from Japanese submarines. And he said it wasn't too far from Hawaii, one way or the other, either leaving Hawaii or before, that a Japanese sub came up on this ship. And they were all ordered, the general alarm went off, and they went to the, the bottom of the boat. And you can imagine 2,000 soldiers in the hold of the ship. It was deathly quiet. Nobody said a word. And they heard the depth charges of the destroyer destroy the submarine and this loud thumping sound against the side of the ship. And it was so quiet, everyone was petrified. And Ray Stedman said, right in the middle of this quiet moment, this serious moment, somebody, one of the soldiers, yelled out, would anyone be interested in buying a good watch? That's what he said in the middle of this crisis. Well, in the Scripture, in Jeremiah, we read today, Jerusalem is under siege by the Babylonian army. They're surrounded. They're even building what are called siege ramps, where they would build ramps. You've seen it in the movies, perhaps, where they go up to the top of a walled city so they could send soldiers over. That was happening. And right in the middle of that, the Lord tells Jeremiah to buy a piece of property from his cousin. It doesn't make sense. Why would you, in the middle of a war, in the middle of a siege of a city, buy a piece of property, and he gave specific instructions to Jeremiah, and I'm just going to paraphrase it rather than read it to you. He says, you take the document of sale and the deed, which is interesting, that he would talk about things we do today. And he said, I want you to put them in an earthen jar and seal it and keep it for later because someday you're going to need it, which didn't make sense with the city about to be destroyed. What does it have to do with our world? Well, I'll tell you what. We're in a siege with COVID. I really believe that. We're in a siege in how it's affected the economy, how it's affected relationships with social distancing and and masks, and how it's impacted, get this, this church, and how it's impacted your family. But let me tell you this. Some of you are in a siege personally. You can feel like you have a siege with illness. You can have a feeling of a siege with a family crisis. You can have a siege with any number of issues in your life with a job. And I want you to listen today as I read about the God of prayer, the God who teaches us to pray as we listen to Jeremiah pray during the siege. And here's what he says in Jeremiah 32, beginning at verse 16. I'm going to read it in two sections just till verse 21 right now. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, Jeremiah says. Ah, sovereign Lord. Mark the word sovereign in your Bible if you mark it. I'm going to talk about it. 
You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. There's a man here today. I don't know who you are. There's a woman here today. I don't know who you are, young person. You need to know that sentence. Nothing is too hard for you, O Lord. Well, personally, I believe that could be a phrase that could save somebody from losing their mind in grief, losing their mind in a problem. Nothing is too difficult for you, Lord. I told you, if you would, if we could bring up verse 17 again. Ah, sovereign Lord, to underline the word sovereign. We don't use that. I don't think I've ever heard a child, a teenager, or an adult say, Dear Sovereign Lord. I've heard people say, Dear God, Dear Lord, in a prayer. But not that. Sovereign means in complete control. The highest authority in the land is the sovereign. And so we address God according to Jeremiah as Sovereign Lord. You say, why do I need to know that? You need to know that when you pray to the Lord, you're praying to the ultimate authority. You're not praying to a authority. You're not praying to someone who has some power and some influence. You are appealing to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Why do you need to know that? Because if you're honest, there have been times in your life when you said, I'm not even going to pray. There's no use. That situation is gone. There's nothing I can do. And you know exactly what I mean because some of you have done it recently. But nothing is too difficult. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. I need to know that. You need to know that. Alfie Wines, that's her name, Wines, is a writer. She said, it is said that hope springs eternal, but there are times when hope is hard to find. Where's hope when the dread of war is reality? Where is hope when the lone voice of the one God commissioned to bring hope is locked away in a prison, Jeremiah? Where is hope when leaders mistake painful words for words of hopelessness? Where's the hope when the drug addict has lost his or her way and the family has lost its connection, when the gambler has lost it all? Where's the hope when changes in the economy result in an unwanted layoff? Where's the hope when failing health signals that life will go on, but it'll never be the same? What do you do when you know that there's light at the end of the tunnel, but the life of you, you can't see it? What do you do when it seems that what is broken can never be fixed or healed? Sooner or later, one whose heart is broken must step out in faith if there's to be any healing, any movement forward into a future story. She's absolutely right. I want to talk about verse 18 because I don't want anyone in this room to go home misunderstanding it. You show your love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Please listen carefully. That does not mean that I'm paying for the sins of my parents or my grandparents in terms of guilt. doesn't mean you are either. But what it does mean is that there are generational effects of what our parents did and what our grandparents did. Some of you have been impacted by what a grandfather or grandmother has done, and nobody knows about it but you. Now, 
transfer that to future generations, what that means is what you and I do impacts future generations. The book of Ezekiel, I think the 37th chapter says, a son doesn't get punished for the sins of his father, and a father doesn't get punished for the sins of his son. We all stand alone for the sins that we commit, but there's generational fallout. Personal question, just for you to answer. What's going on in your life that's been impacted by the sin of a mom or dad? or by the sin of a grandparent, where you have been impacted by it. And I just want you to understand that's what Jeremiah means. Verse 19, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and according to their deeds deserve. Do you act differently in a situation when you know someone's watching you? Yeah, sure. Most people do. You may be at a family gathering and you notice that somebody is watching the way you talk. They watch the way you interact with people. And we do act differently when we know that someone's watching us. And what does this say? The Lord, his eyes are open to the ways of all mankind, every man and every woman. God's aware of what's going on in your life. I hope you know that. Nothing slips by him. Let's go on to the second set of verses, verse 22. You gave them this land you had sworn to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey you or follow your law. They did not do what you commanded them to do. So you brought this disaster, all this disaster on them. See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city. Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. And though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. I've got a theory, and I, I could be wrong in this, but when Jeremiah took the deed and the documents and put them in a, a glass or an earthen jar and put them away for safekeeping, hid them really is what he did, it was an oracle or a witness to the future. And maybe that's why the Lord had him do it, that someday this land is going to be inhabited again, and this deed will mean something. I wonder if the Lord has things in your life that represent the future hope that you have in Christ. You may have a Bible that belonged to somebody. You may have something, a letter from somebody that has great significance to you spiritually. You may remember something that you've, you've owned and you say, that reminds me of a promise that God made to me, the promise of Scripture. I think that's possible. Alfie Wine said this, the addict must seek treatment. The family has to choose love, even in divorce. Interesting remark. Listen to that again. The family can choose love, even in divorce. The gambler can choose to make different financial decisions. The employee with a pink slip looks for a new career. Failing health can lead to a new way of life. 
the one looking for light at the end of the tunnel can choose to move forward confident that the light is there even in darkness. The one whose heart is broken can trust that God will heal. I want to share with you why I think we need to remember this passage and, and know it. Because even when the worst happens, here they're in a siege, the city is about to be destroyed. Jeremiah is held up by the Lord say, there's hope in the future. You've got to believe that. There will be a time in your life, if it hasn't happened already, when the only thing you can claim in life is the hope that's in Christ. Well, my guess is somebody listening today, you're there. That's the only thing you can turn to is the hope that you have in Christ. Do it. Claim the promises of God today. Crosshope.org. Crosshope.org. There will be a time in your life, if it hasn't happened already, when the only thing you can claim in life is the hope that's in Christ. I was meeting with a family today who lost an 18-year-old son, and I shared with them what I share at every funeral. They said, what do you do at your funeral? I say, we thank God for the life of the person. We did that at Bill Asbury's service. Every day's a gift. You know that, don't you? I, I'm always amazed at men and women who talk about five years from now, we're going to do this. And 10 years, we're going to do this. And James says, you don't even know if you got tomorrow. Why would you be so arrogant to talk about what you're going to do five and 10 and 15 years from now when we don't even know if we have tomorrow? And then I said, secondly, we're going to commit everything we know and love about your son, everything you cherish about your son. We're going to commit that to everything we know and love about the Lord. Why would I do that? Intellectually, I don't know anything better to do than to commit everything we know and love about a person to everything we know about the Lord. Here's what we do when we face the impossible. Remind ourselves of who God is. He's sovereign. He's the boss, to use that term, a, a familiar term to everybody. He's in charge of the universe. And we need to revisit often what God has already done, and we need to refocus continually on God's power instead of our problems. What would that do for you to do that? Some of you remember an old song written by Andre Crouch years ago. Through It All is the name of the song. Popular decades ago. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. And the last verse has great lyrics. I thank God for the mountains. I thank Him for the valleys. I thank Him for the storms He brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. I remember years ago, this is a story that I, I just don't tell because it's so powerfully strong and yet so desperately desperate. I remember reading about a woman who was the organist in a church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. She had such a rough relationship with her husband. It's such a negative thing. I don't know the details. But she admitted later that while she was playing the organ at church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 
she was fantasizing ways about how to kill her husband. Can you imagine that? You're playing the organ, you know, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and you're fantasizing about how to kill your husband. If I knew that, I'd be nervous if that's what she was doing. But she came under conviction. And I want you to listen to this. She said the Lord dealt with her bitterness toward her husband and took it away. And she said it was like a miracle. And so people would say, well, why are you telling that story? It's an example of a God who said, there's nothing too difficult for me, including dealing with the resentment toward a person in your life, namely her husband. It would be easier for some people to buy a piece of property in Afghanistan or Iraq than it would be to ask them to forgive a brother or sister. Did you hear what I just said? It would be easier to ask some people, would you buy a piece of property in Afghanistan or Iraq and go over and pay the money? And it'd be easier to ask them to do that than to ask them to forgive a brother or sister. I think this is one of the most powerful stories I've ever read about a drug addict coming to Christ. And not that we dwell on that, but I want to share it with you. For 26 years, I lived my life as a drug addict. For much of that life, I lived destitute and in despair, and even homeless a couple of times. I walked the streets of Philadelphia and spent many a night in various crack houses. I would sneak on the subway on occasion. You know why? Just so he'd have a place to sleep. He would sneak onto a subway just so he could sleep for the night. That was my existence. That's what I called life. That's what I called my life. I was hopeless, trapped in a mindset of rejection and worthlessness, and freedom from addiction was impossible for me, it seemed. Where was hope? It was nowhere I could see. What did I believe in? God? He saw my situation. He knew what I was going through still allowed the avalanche, the downward spiral of hopelessness, to continue. But hope found its way into my heart. Listen to this. Hope found its way into my heart and made itself at home. Slowly, methodically, I believed. I believed in hope. Hope is in a person named Jesus. God in the flesh who when I thought I was unlovable, loved me all along. Somebody came here today just to hear that. When you thought you were unlovable, God came to love you through His Son, Christ. And I believe that with all my heart. Through my mess, through rejection, through my failure and perceived worthlessness, I said, I believe. I believe in hope. I believe in Jesus Christ. And there is hope. Now he said this. This is the classic paragraph of all times. I am now clean and have been clean for almost eight years. I am now married, an author, and a minister. So if there's any hope for me, a 26-year veteran of drugs and alcohol, then for sure there's hope for anyone dealing with anything. There is hope for you. This I believe. Do you? Why would I tell a story like that at the end to remind you of what the Lord said to Jeremiah? Nothing is too difficult for God. I want you to think of a situation in your family, in your job, in your personal health, 
And just remember, nothing is too difficult for God. And that doesn't mean that God waves a magic wand and everything disappears, all your problems are gone. I'm not talking about that. God gives you the strength to deal with what you can't change. Listen to that again. God will give you the strength and me the strength to deal with what you can't change because he's the God of the impossible. He's sovereign. He's in charge. And nothing is too hard for him. And that's the God we talk about today in the book of Jeremiah. The God of hope is the one who gives hope. I was thinking recently, what do people look for for hope? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who's bought a lottery ticket and they go into a speech about it? Well, well, here's what I'm going to do when I win. And everybody laughs and I'm going to pay off my debts. And we're going to do this and we're going to take that trip when I win the lottery. Have you ever heard anybody? do? I've heard it many times over the years. We don't put our hope in a lottery. We put our hope in Christ. We don't put our hope ultimately in a job. We put it in the Lord. We don't put our hope in our health that things are going to get better in the sweet by and by. They may not. We put our hope in the Lord. We put our hope in the Lord. That's the decision that every man, every woman, every young person in this room needs to make today. You've been listening to Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. For more information about this ministry or to re-listen to any message heard on this broadcast, go to our website at crosshope.org. Be sure to join us at this same time each weekday or listen at www.crosshope.org. Cross Hope is listener-supported and is produced by Cross Hope Ministries, Incorporated.